Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Today's episode has been made possible through the generous support of Bright Peak Financial, an award-winning not-for-profit supporting Christians on their journey to financial strength. Go to brightpeakfinancial.com to make your dream happen. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien while she's away. Today I'll be sharing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that's very familiar to people today, but Actually, rather than just meaning exercise, it has a much deeper meaning, uh, which means uh, oneness, union, or unity. The bringing together of our attention and awareness with our essential spiritual nature to be restored to our original wholeness. <clears throat> it's a wide system for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Our topic today is Rediscovering Wholeness, Yoga's Tools for Recovery from Trauma. After we face physical or emotional trauma, how can we reconnect with the wholeness that is present at our soul level? How do yoga practices help us to heal? Yoga has been proven to alleviate both pain and suffering and to allow us to find increased joy and serenity in our lives. Today, our conversation will focus on how yoga can help us rediscover the healing and wholeness that is within us and the steps that you can take to live more joyfully in the present moment. Our guest today on the Yoga Hour is Mary Nuri Stearns, who has over four decades of professional experience in mental health and maintains a counseling practice in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
She's the author of numerous articles on psycho-spiritual growth, co-author of many books, including Yoga for Anxiety, Yoga for Emotional Trauma, Yoga Mind, Peaceful Mind, and she's also co-editor of Soulful Living. She teaches yoga, mindfulness, and meditation, presents seminars across the United States, and co-leads with her husband, Transformational Meditation and Yoga Retreats. You can find out more about Mary, her books, and teaching schedule at her website, personaltransformation.com. Welcome, Mary Nuri Stearns. I'm delighted that you could join us today on the Yoga Hour. Well, thank you so much, and good morning, everyone. So before we begin to enter into our dialogue about yoga's tools for recovery from trauma, let's begin with a moment of meditation. Om. Let's begin by turning our attention within. Our breath is a wonderful tool to help us bring our attention and awareness to the present moment, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. So let's start by taking a fully conscious breath, just noticing as we inhale and exhale. Not trying to change our breath, just noticing its natural flow. Cool air entering the nostrils and warm air flowing out. In this moment, we can dive within and open our heart to the divine. One reality, called by many names, is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right here, and right now, this divine essence is present as you, as me, as everyone. within us, between us, and all around us. Just by being present now and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being. We notice thoughts and feelings as they arise and as they pass away. We become aware of our essential nature beyond words and thoughts, beyond all change, beyond thought and sensation, pure existence being. We feel the peace that emanates from the essence of our being. We allow it to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. We abide in this peace and let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. Oh. 
Once again, Mary Nuri Stearns, welcome to the Yoga Hour. Thank you so much. So how did you first become interested in using yoga to help heal physical and emotional trauma? Well, this is a very uh, indirect and gradual path, uh, beginning, of course, with my own journey into yoga, which was in 1990. And I remember being attracted to the practice for reasons I understood and reasons I didn't understand, but it was very compelling to me. Mm-hmm. And then over the years, as I began to teach I, um, and lead retreats, began to hear from students who were attending retreats that they were going off their anxiety medications, they were going off mm-hmm. their antidepressant medication. And at about the same time, there was more science, more research about the efficacy of yoga in treating trauma, and so I began reading, and and the next thing I knew, I was teaching mental health professionals and writing books, and, <laughs> and, and on it goes. Yeah. Well, I've, I've already mentioned to you just when we... we uh, began speaking this morning how much I I do enjoy the book that we're going to be focusing on today, Yoga for Emotional Trauma. I just think it's a real, just a storehouse of wonderful, wonderful practices and wonderful information. So um, the book describes the holistic nature of trauma, how a physical injury or an emotional wound also affects other aspects of ourselves. So can you give an example of how physical trauma affects our emotions and thoughts? Yeah, coming from the uh, the insight and the teaching that body and mind are one, and therefore what affects one is going to affect the other. But to be really specific, let's say that um, let's go with a physical trauma of. Uh, I mean, I won't give an example. I don't want to trigger trauma in anyone, <laughs> but some kind of a of an impact, and. Mm-hmm. And with some kind of an impact, the body feels not safe and the nervous system feels not safe. So in addition to physical discomfort, there's a response at the deep unconscious nervous system of not being safe. And not having choice, when we're in the aftermath of a physical trauma, we feel that what's happened to us has been beyond our choice. And when we're in the aftermath of a physical trauma, we feel as if something's been disregarded. We haven't been felt as sacred. And so the nervous system reverberates with that, and then the mind says, well, if the body doesn't feel safe, there has to be a reason. Mm-hmm. because mind reflects the body and vice versa. And so then the mind says, well, I better start looking for danger. I better not trust. I better be cautious. I better see danger where there is none. And and then the, then the body says, well, the mind's all upset and is worried and scared, and therefore I better stay, stay amped up. And so 
unconsciously and unintentionally and very humanly they reinforce each other. You give such a great a great description of that kind of a feedback loop, or echoing you know kind yeah. of a effect. <clears throat> so let's turn to the other aspect. So emotional trauma. So now there hasn't been an, a physical injury or wound of any sort, but obviously there are lots of experiences that we all go through that are emotionally traumatic. So how does that affect our bodies and our thoughts? Let's uh, look at. It emotional trauma from the perspective of of relationship with another and uh, and being somehow through words or neglect not being treated well in relationship with other perhaps there's oppression there's which is a taking away of power perhaps there's degrading which is verbally um, calling someone you know less than valuable and Perhaps there's choice not given. Perhaps the body is violated by by um, too close physical contact. Whatever it is, there's a there's a betrayal of trust. There's a betrayal of a sense of goodness. There's a betrayal of a sense of safety with another. There's a betrayal of the sense of being related to uh, from the perspective that life is sacred. And so when the mind takes in that information, the body has no choice but to respond in, in, in like. Mm-hmm. And so then the body again feels not safe, and the body again becomes very cautious. And once again, we're in, in this unity of body and mind. And I think this is, I'm so glad you asked that question because it's so important to recognize because most of us experience trauma, it's inside the realm of human relationship, not outside, and it's inside the realm of human experience, not outside. And so this is something most of us go through, and and yet when it happens to us, we feel like we've done something wrong. There's something unique about us. And... And while, on the one hand, it, trauma is very devastating and is about us, on another hand, it's inevitable that the body-mind is going to respond this way. So it doesn't mean that we're being nincompoops or that we're being maladjusted. It just means this is what the body-mind does. Yes. Yeah, and I, I love your use of the word body-mind. And I, I think perhaps for those people who you know, maybe have not done as much, um, maybe they haven't had, um, you know, massage or whatever, but it's, it's so clear to me that these emotional traumas are really stored in our body, various tension patterns that we carry. Um, and, you know, it really is the body-mind. And I think that is, um, that it's, uh, it's a lovely way to describe it. So in your experience, how does the holistic nature of yoga make it such a good approach for healing these holistic effects that we've been talking about of trauma? Well, I remember in uh, 2009, the first stamp of approval of yoga for treatment of trauma was given by Harvard University based on some research that showed that yoga, with its focus on mindfulness and meditation and breath and poses, 
has a, a real measurable effect, and the effect is that it turns on the relaxation response of the body. And trauma turns on the sympathetic nervous system or the fight-flight-freeze response of the body. And, by the way, when that happens, among many of us, that's imprinted into the nervous system and it doesn't automatically unwind. So we live our lives unwittingly, unintentionally being ramped up inside, maybe not even knowing it. But then along comes yoga. Thank goodness. And... (laughs) And the ability to turn on the relaxation response. And then the body starts feeling safe. Mm-hmm. And then the mind can, be, can become quieter. And then a whole series of events can follow that, but, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about a little later, I, I believe. But yes. if, if nothing else, I think we can recognize, and many of my students say, and myself, have said, I didn't know what feeling relaxed felt like. Mm-hmm. That's a very powerful statement. Mm-hmm. And simply doing yoga does that. There was an amazing study that came out in 2015 that took a group of women with previously untreatable post-traumatic stress disorder, meaning they did not get benefit from medication, they did not get benefit from talk therapy. So they... Um, all they did for treatment was put them through uh, uh, some yoga classes, and they did they tested pre and post a series of yoga classes, and found that just by doing yoga with no other form of treatment, brought about reduction of symptoms because of what yoga does to the body mind. Mm-hmm. So you begin your book with a discussion of the importance of compassion in healing. And one of the components of compassion that you describe is recognizing the sacred nature of the one who is suffering. And you actually even touched on this a little bit in your, in your earlier comments about this, you know, sacred, uh, recognizing our sacred nature. So how does the acceptance of our sacredness as human beings help us in the healing process? Well, I have to go to a personal story because we fundamentally know our sacred nature when it's mirrored to us by someone else. That's how children learn to recognize that they have value is when they light up the room for their parents, and we all need that. And... So there are ways we can connect with the sacred nature, but foremost it's being mirrored back to us. And I'll talk about a couple ways it can be mirrored back to us. First is the personal story. Many years ago in the mid-1990s, I interviewed an extraordinary human being, Father Thomas Keating, who's a Trappist monk, who's brought centering prayer into Christianity in in the 20th century, and I was interviewing him on the topic of shame and low self-worth, and I said, I asked him a question, and I said, why do people suffer low self-esteem? And this was his answer. He said, 
because they do not know who they are. Mm. He said, low self-esteem is an innocent misunderstanding. You think you're not among the chosen. You think you're lesser than, and you don't know that that you are your father's child. And he spoke those words with such sincerity that something rose in me. I'll call it a bubble in my belly rose up in me, and I felt seen for the first time in my life in a particular way. Mm. I felt seen as sacred. And that that was one of those moments that turned my life around. And I mm. I bow to you today, Father Thomas Keating, and give thanks mm. to that. Well, what and a so lovely I- story. And, and with that, we've come to the end of our of our first segment. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with guest Mary Nuri Stearns, co-author of several books, including Yoga for Emotional Trauma, Meditations and Practices for Healing Pain and Suffering. Mary has a counseling practice in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and co-leads with her husband, Transformational Meditation and Yoga Retreats. You can find out more about her on her website, personaltransformation.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about yoga practices for healing trauma. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What does simple living sound like to you? Is it a quiet moment on your front porch? A cold beverage after a long day? Or maybe spending quality time with your family? Whatever it is, simple living is a powerful act of joy, abundance, and refreshment. Want to simplify your life? Join the Simple Living Challenge by Bright Peak Financial. It's an inspiring and easy 14-day challenge to help you cut down on life's clutter to lead a simpler, more balanced life. Go to simplelivingchallenge.com to sign up. Have you asked your soul what it wants? Or are you so busy meeting the needs of everyone else? Family, friends, children, bosses, that you haven't checked in with the part of you that matters most? Janet Connor asked this question and received an answer. Your soul wants five things. That's it. Five things. Your soul wants to connect with source, commit to values, serve a purpose, express itself creatively, and last, it longs to create a beautiful, abundant life. Janet Connor teaches five wisdom habits that meet those needs. 
You can take each course separately or register for the complete Your Soul Wants Five Things series and receive $1,000 in bonuses for free. Visit JanetConnor.com and explore all five courses in her signature series, Your Soul Wants Five Things. Your soul will thank you. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for the Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien. I'm joined today by Mary Nuri Stearns, co-author of the book Yoga for Emotional Trauma. Mary teaches yoga mindfulness and meditation, and also presents seminars across the United States. You can find out more about her books and teaching schedule at the website personaltransformation.com. So Mary, let's start back with a quote from uh, Paramahansa Yogananda who said, there are three kinds of sickness, physical, mental, and spiritual. Physical sickness is due to different forms of toxic conditions, infectious diseases, and accidents. Mental sickness is caused by fear, worry, anger, and similar emotional inharmonies. Soul sickness is due to man's ignorance of his true relationship with God. Ignorance is the supreme disease. When one banishes ignorance, he has also banished the causes of all mental physical and spiritual disease. So one of the things I really enjoyed about your book was your focus on the ignorance that Yogananda mentions in this quote, which we actually touched on right before the break, our ignorance of our true nature. And the potential for freedom there is when we realize that we are not who we thought we were. Our true self is the witness of our thoughts and emotions and not those thoughts and emotions themselves. So traumatic events can affect our concept of ourselves and may leave us questioning our self-worth. When we associate ourselves with our thoughts and emotions, which is this ignorance that we've been talking about, a negative concept can be a negative self-concept can be quite challenging. Yoga's teachings that we are not our thoughts or emotions can be very healing. So how does this idea of ignorance or avidya, not understanding our true nature, help us heal from negative self-concepts? 
Well, let's look at that at this two ways. And first of all, let's be ever so gentle about the inevitability that that we do come up with a story, a self-constructed story of who we are and, and in the aftermath, and particularly in developmental trauma, that's uh, um, is most likely going to be one of, of I'm not good enough. And so let's recognize that, number one, this is inevitable and that this is part of our human nature, and thus it's not bad. However, it's wounding. And let's also recognize that pain is so stimulating. I mean, when we bonk our elbow, it's like all our attention goes to our elbow. It's like, oh, my gosh, it hurts. Pain takes our attention. Well, a painful self-story takes our attention in the same way. And, And that's natural. And so it can be daunting at first when someone says to us, the truth is there's more to us than these stories. The truth is these stories are constructed. The truth is that these stories are an inevitable response to our conditioning. The truth is even the language that the story comes in, right, is a, is a, a result of our conditioning. So have to be so kind in recognizing that we might not understand that underneath it all, there's a quiet space in us that is aware and has energy and uh, um, abides, that we abide in it and it abides in us. I like to introduce the notion of times, natural times in our lives, like walking in wilderness or sitting with a sleeping baby where where our mind becomes quiet and we become absorbed in the vast stillness of nature or the exquisite stillness of a sleeping baby. And in those moments without story, we know that we're alive, we feel okay. And to me, this is experiential evidence of the truth that mm-hmm. that that we have a true self beneath it all, and the more we can recognize those naturally arising moments and and read some teachings perhaps that help us understand it, the more we can gravitate towards it and have relief from that painful story. Yes, that's, it's so true. And I look at the, you know, process of practicing yoga, being on a spiritual path as a practice of continually forgetting, realizing we've forgotten and remembering, you know, yes. and that's one of the reasons why it's so helpful to have a steady practice. Yeah. Uh, to have a daily practice is ideal or at least to have a steadiness to it because our practice helps us to remember who we truly are, and to notice those times that you are just pointing to that I think everybody does have in their lives, but also to avoid the experience of, I loved how you described it when you come back, when you do remember to come back with kindness, because it's almost second nature to like kick yourself, right? (laughs) which doesn't help, right? It really doesn't help for you to say, oh, you know, I did it again, you know, I forgot. Yeah. 
and so coming back with that kindness is a uh, is a really important practice. So uh, turning to the uh, another um, section of the book, uh, the study of nature of the nature of consciousness or self study uh, in Sanskrit the the term is svadhyaya is one of the three key practices of Kriya Yoga mentioned in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. Um, Ramana Maharshi also used the practice of self-inquiry extensively, encouraging his disciples to reflect on the question, who am I? Which is one of the practices of this uh, self-study or a study of nature of consciousness. So how does the practice of self-study help us heal? Well, let's go to that marvelous question. Who am I? And, and in many of our retreats, we do a group practice with, uh, with a, the question, Who am I? And we come up with a, a gazillion answers to that. You know, I'm mother and I'm wife and I'm, I'm all the roles that I play. And then we go into all the interests that we have. You know, I like yoga and I like, I like walking my dog and I like gardening. And then we extinguish that. And then we go into whatever we can come up with to define who we are. And then we start getting playful, like, well, who are you? Because we know we outlive our roles. That can't be who we are. Well, who are you? Well, we know we're not the name that we're given because it was given to us. That's not who we are. And we get playful. And then the answer comes, I don't know. Or it's a mystery. Or I keep discovering it anew. And in that mystery is, um, is an energy that is revealing. And the energy is, that's the truth. At some level, we can't be confined to our roles and our experiences and our traumas. And so at the very least, we sit more with the question than the answer. We'd sit with the question, who am I? Which is an extraordinary question to sit with. Mm-hmm. That, and another way to address that question is to answer everything with netty netty or not this, not that. No, right. no, not this, not that. Well, if not that, this, not that, then what? And again, right. we're presented with mystery and something inevitable and, and sacred. And then we know we're resting in something greater than the stories, greater than the experiences, more durable than passing emotions. And just prying open that question has a lot of benefit. One of the ways that we do, that I do that that's been so helpful for my um, clients and myself is to start naming and when when people come up with these stories of i'm not i'm just not good enough then we've given that a name if it's an accurate name and for some people if there's been developmental trauma which which has been for more of us than not and if the story is not good enough we've given it a name and the name of it is trauma memory and as soon as we start to call the story of insufficiency trauma memory, all of a sudden it becomes more external to us and we right. can disidentify with it. It's not so close to us. Right. And it creates that Which, space. Yeah. 
Yes, ex- exactly. That is exactly what I was going to say next, you know, which I think is this, this process of really looking at our thoughts and our emotions and recognizing, well, my thoughts change continuously. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'm aware of my thoughts. So that my thoughts can't be me and my emotions, you know, also change continuously. And it opens up that space, mm-hmm. that space of, you know, that distance from the thought, distance from the emotion, which I think is so crucial to healing. That recognition of I'm not this, I'm not that, and then the ability, as you just mentioned beautifully, to rest in our essential nature. Um, and the healing, you know, just wells up from within us. Our own wholeness wells up from within us. So meditation is one of the main practices you mentioned healing. And there is, as you've alluded to a little bit, there's a lot of research on the effects of yoga and meditation in particular that really supports this view that meditation is very important in healing. So you list three capacities that meditation helps us build. Concentration, developing this witness consciousness, which we've really kind of been talking about, and resting in inner stillness. So let's Take the first one, concentration. How is our ability to concentrate central to healing? Well, let's go back to body-mind unity. Because when the body's stirred up, meaning it has uh, is amped up into fight, flight, or freeze, it affects our mind and and our thoughts may race. We can't concentrate very long. And uh, our thoughts are scattered. They jump around. Or when we're depressed, there's like a vegetative effect, and we feel sluggish. We can't focus very well. So we know that concentration is impacted by uh, mental distress. And our ability to to concentrate is central because... And it's central, and it's built on the other other capacities that we're going to discuss in a moment. But it's central because it helps us say, "No, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on this." Right. No, right. I'm not going to focus on that old trauma memory story. I'm going to focus on this that the teaching right. says that all of us are um, are expressions of divinity, and. Mm. And it also helps us to, concentration helps us make choices. Trauma takes choice. We we have to uh, just reinforce and reinforce that, that that trauma is choiceless and it it robs us. And so to be able to focus again helps us say, today I'm going to get up and I'm going to take a shower and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to have a cup of coffee with my friend, and I'm going to go walk the river. Mm-hmm. That's a healthy choice. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it's central to healing. Yes, and you just touched on that it's not just concentration, but it's being able to choose what we concentrate on. Yes. And this practice of choosing that focus of concentration and and regardless of what the mind or emotions try to bring up at that moment, this practice of returning, always returning, returning to the point of concentration, that is a wonderful practice 
because as you said, it gives you back and, and not maybe if the pain is overwhelming, you know, we can't always do it. But the more that we practice this concentration, which is one of the, you know, it's one of the eight limbs of yoga, practice yeah. the concentration practices, um, that it is so helpful in being able to, again, create that space that we've been talking about. Yeah. So let's turn to the next aspect of, of uh, uh, or the next kind of um, skill that meditation helps us with. So developing witness consciousness. So when we develop witness consciousness, it's an awareness of our true self as witness to our thoughts and emotions, mm-hmm. which we were just mentioning a bit earlier. And it helps us create that space between ourself and our stories. So did you have an example or something else that you would want to uh, say about the importance of how this practice is helpful to those who are healing from trauma? Well, when when we don't have that space, like there's space is, is when we are in relationship with whatever's arising in our mind and our body. So space is is the is just kind of an experience. Here I am, Mary, and I am aware that in this moment I uh, feel stressed, which I don't right now. But to use that example, <laughs> and and the moment I say I am aware of feeling stressed, I have cultivated some space. There's me who is aware, and there's the experience of stress. Without yes. that awareness that I'm I'm stressed, my attention has been subsumed in stress. So it's like now there's just stress. Me as the awareness and the experience of stress have merged. Have, there's one identity, and and we have been subsumed, and stress has taken us for a ride. But as soon as we say, "Whoa, wait a minute," I am aware of being stressed. And then I pull back. There's that inner space, and I have choice again. Mm-hmm. So the, getting back to getting back to choice, which is yeah. which is such a, a key thing. So then, the ability to rest in this inner peace and stillness is the last of the of the three um, uh, things that meditation helps us. Meditation practice helps us build. When we rest in that inner stillness, we touch our essential nature, which is always whole and complete. So how has this practice of resting in the inner stillness been helpful to those you have worked with? Oh, it's a godsend. It's a godsend to me. I mean, I felt that when you led the meditation to start the hour. It's like there's this, I call it the clunk down. And, and what I mean by that is like there's an inner sensation of like clunking down, like bleh, like a thud down. That's very quieting and calming and so when we get really quiet like can happen in restorative yoga for people which is a very passive form of yoga or yoga nidra which is a very quiet form of yoga rest and then everything gets quiet but there's still some wakefulness and in that moment of the body being calmed and supported and soothed and yet wakefulness without thought we're resting in deep stillness we're resting in our true nature which gives deep healing number one deep meaning number two deep fulfillment and the and deep contentment because in that moment it's like 
everything's okay in my world. That's a powerful experience to have, that everything's okay in my world. Mm-hmm. Because of the deep calmness I love, my one of my favorite scriptures is be still and know. Yes, yes. Because beneath the thinking mind, there is this quiet stillness, like what we experience in the wilderness that we talked about earlier, that right. that connects us to life. And in that moment, we don't feel separate, which eradicates the ignorance. Ignorance is separation. I am separate from God. I am outside of the divine. I am alone, and I'm probably not, not a, only am I alone, but I'm not among the chosen ones. I'm, there's something wrong with me. But when the mind gets quiet and we tap into that deep stillness, that that narrative is eradicated, and it's an experience of deep connection. And so it's so beneficial when we have experiences of that to then have some discussion about it afterwards and even use use words to define it because it helps us recognize it again. And the more we recognize it, the more access we have to that state. Right. Yeah, I was just thinking of the of the, the Vedic um quote that says um i'm probably not going to get it exactly right but it's about wholeness you know or, or fullness so from fullness fullness comes when when fullness is taken from fullness fullness remains mm-hmm. and to me that's that you know that timeless and whole that experience of wholeness that comes from our experience of that of that deep stillness so in addition to meditation, your book is full of many other yogic practices, including yoga postures um, and uh, breath regulation. So you give lots of background about why breathing practices are helpful in healing, and you do a very nice description of the link between the autonomic nervous system um, and the breath. M- most people are familiar with the sympathetic nervous system and the flight fight, flight, freeze response that you've mentioned uh, that is triggered by the sympathetic nervous system and then the relaxation response, uh, which is triggered by these type of yoga practices uh, and opposes the sympathetic nervous system response and uh, allows our ability, uh, allows our bodies to rest and digest. So when we look at the breathing practices, yogic breathing practices, what have, what types of breathing practices have you found to be the most helpful in healing? Well, a couple. First of all, in the aftermath of trauma, many times we either don't feel safe in our body or we're not aware of our body. And so I think it's helpful to first pause and recognize we're in our body. And we can do that. So simply feel my feet on the floor. Feel my hips on the chair. Feel my spine rising up and recognizing that I'm in my body, on my mat, in this moment, to as a way to come home to the body. And then what I like to do is have people, I'm going to do it now, place one hand on belly, and if one, my other hand's on my phone, but I'll symbolically <laughs> place the other hand on my heart. Uh-huh. And then I am going to 
breathe in, and as I breathe out, I'm going to gently rub my belly and, and allow my belly to move out. And as I breathe out, I'm going to feel my belly fall in. And so I'm, I'm touching my body in a safe, supportive way to bring awareness into the belly, which, which does move with diaphragmatic breath. So I start there. And then I go to um, noticing breath, just like you guided this morning or in the beginning of the show, noticing the breath, to, to invoke mindfulness. And when we're mindful, it's like, here I am aware, and here I am the breath. And so I'm mindful of breathing. I like to teach that. But, the, but the, the specific breathing practice that I most fall back on is one that's evidence-based and one that's very easy to do. And that's simply even breathing, somatic breathing, which is breathe in for the count of five, breathe out for the count of five, and repeat that five times. And, uh, and I use that because it's so simple. People can remember it, and it does deepen the exhalation, which yes. then brings about a full inhalation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the it's been so interesting to me as a physician to really experience yoga and the the deep interconnection that there is, which, as you said, actually has a lot of research behind it that shows that it's lengthening the exhalation that really is what helps trigger the relaxation response and that there is this tight connection between our breathing, which is so interesting and it's one of the involuntary body processes. Most of the time we're not aware of our breathing if we're you know, doing other things. Um, so thank goodness we don't have to remember to breathe all the time. Our body does take it over. But that we can in a moment use our breath and turn our attention to it and uh, and also um, deliberately lengthen the exhalation, which is something that happens naturally. When people take a deep sigh, for example, yeah. that's one way that the body knows to lengthen the exhalation. And you also bring it in the book that humming, singing, and chanting are other ways to lengthen exhalation and trigger the relaxation response. And you do a really nice job of, of, of talking people through how they might use this idea of humming or singing uh, to help um, help both bring their attention in uh, also um, bring a positive message in um, and to choose then to hum it or sing it. So can you share the practice a little bit more detailed with us, please? First of all, let's look at it just briefly from the science perspective. because And, and we're going to talk about chanting with someone else. So those of you who are listening along, we're going to invite you in just a moment here. But when we chant together... Not only are we singing on the exhalation, which we naturally sing on the exhalation, which brings in a deep inhalation, but we are having a shared experience. And when we chant or hum or sing together, we're not telling our personal story, and so there's no, it's not risky, it's not revealing. 
but deep in, in the middle of the brain, in the emotional brain, which both helps us bond and also uh, helps us respond to threat. Deep in the emotional brain, when we chant together, we're activating a safety, like this relationship is safe. And I feel connected with this group or this person through the process of, of humming or chanting together. And so some of the research shows that with children, to, to sing with children is very healing where there has been trauma in early life because it, re, it heals the middle brain. It heals the emotional brain. And so, Mary, and I think got that's about cool. Two, about two, we got about, it is cool. We've got about two minutes left, so just as a warning. Yeah. So, so go ahead. I, I'd love to so do let's, that. So let's yeah. um, together say, Shanti, Shanti, Shantahi. And, so, and those of you who are listening, I'm going to invite you one time to say that with a Shanti, 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 Shanti. 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 And when we say that, we're doing it on an exhalation, which brings about the inhalation, but it also fills the mind with the energy of the word. Shanti is peace. And so words have power, and we are then focusing on the energy of peace while we're deepening our breath and while we're chanting with one another. Which is, which is way cool. <laughs> which is very yeah. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So, in our last minute or so, um, at the end of your book, you share the image of the lotus flower, and I thought you did a lovely job of of explaining that as a symbol for transformation. So, can you share that with the listeners? Mm-hmm. Well, lotus grows in muddy water. And its roots are anchored in the mud. And the stalk rises uh, anywhere from 6 inches to 16 inches above the water, reaches toward the sun, and then has this exquisite blossom, as you know. Mm -hmm. Well, the symbology of that is without the mud to anchor, the flower of compassion and wisdom and beauty cannot live and thus, out of suffering grows compassion. That it, and and compassion doesn't arise unless first unless there's something has happened that causes pain, and so that pain is transmuted into something that is extraordinary. And to cultivate peace and wisdom and compassion. Is uh, brings us to spiritual fruition, which is which is what life is about. Mm, that's really lovely. So, thank you so much, Mary Nuri Stearns, for joining us on the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. And I am Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. We've been discussing rediscovering wholeness, yoga's tools for recovery from trauma. Again, with our special guest, Mary Nuri Stearns, co-author of Yoga for Emotional Trauma, Meditations and Practices for Healing and Suffering. And once again, Mary's website is personaltransformation.com. So again, thank you so much, Mary, for joining us. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, dear. 
So join us next week for an episode from our archive, Spirituality, Vegetarianism, and Well-Being, from July of 2011. While diet does not determine our degree of spiritual awareness, it plays a central role in our spiritual practice by influencing our bodies and minds and relationship with life. Yogacharya O'Brien was joined by the Venerable Jian Hu, who at that time was abbot of the Chung Thai Zen Center in Sunnyvale, California. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. You can find out more about CSE at the website csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes. I look forward to being with you again when Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and your joy with all that you meet. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. Like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Reverend Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Peace in the presence of conflict. Love in the presence of hatred. Forgiveness in the presence of injury. These words are easy to say. It's challenging, though, to live them in everyday life. After all, I can make my words and actions peaceful, but I have no control over the words and actions of others. That's true, but think about it. If you, then I, then others, one by one, responded in love in every situation, the effect would be like the wave you see spread across a sports stadium. It would go on and on, gaining momentum as it moved through the people around us. I can let peace begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website 
at www.unity.org. Like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Reverend Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology Available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.